Big Conversations Little Bar with your hosts Randy Florence and Patrick Evans, featuring candid conversations with the Coachella Valley's most interesting and influential people. Pull up a bar stool and enjoy Big Conversations Little Bar. Welcome to another edition of Big Conversation Little Bar. I'm Patrick Evans, and I am joined as I am every week by my co-host, good friend, and very talented former banker. You don't look a day over 39. Randy Florence with us today on Big Conversations Little Bar. I feel so much younger than I did yesterday. <laughs> we um, want to give a shout out to Brian Blue Sky of the Desert Sun, who put a very nice article together and actually got us on the front page. That's the... The second time you've been on the front page, the first time was for that embezzlement charge, but that went away. Well, that was only front page if you took out the sports section, because it was really buried very far in the back. You know, I, I, I was telling a couple of people today, I think it really says a lot more about the Valley than it does us, that we were front page material on the local newspaper. I, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was a slow news day. Look, I work in a newsroom. There are such things. Yeah. Well, you come up with stuff when There's, it's slow. There are days where, like, this would have never made air, but hey, it's a slow day. <laughs> on the on the weather next week, you'll be talking about a podcast. Got oh, it. my goodness. Um, we're really uh, pleased to be here from Skip's Little Bar, the center of the known universe in the Coachella Valley. And he has been a gracious host since we started this little thing he has we were sitting over there at the corner of the bar having a couple of drinks talking about the future of podcasts and skip decided the future of podcasts was us sitting over here in this corner bar uh, listening to the shakers and some words that come out of the bartenders at certain times but it adds significantly to the ambience skip was certainly a visionary at golden voice i'm not sure that he's a podcast visionary because this is what he ended up with but here we are and john mcmullen our producer stalwart john is over there manning the board hey i'm going to steal some stuff here so i can introduce our guest today and i'm going to steal some stuff because he wrote his own introduction to a radio show he used to do and it was so fantastic i just thought why should i try to reinvent something perfect so our guest is jimmy francisco jimmy had his own radio show here in town and again stealing his intro Raising a family, running a business, getting involved in the community for three decades gives Jimmy a lot of street cred in the desert. Husband, father of two, welding shop operator, smart ass, golfer, football fanatic, girls soccer coach, therapist to his friends, and all around good guy. Jimmy has his finger on a lot of pulse. <laughs> A lot of pulses. Some of this I didn't read until just now. I didn't Fantastic. write it either. Okay, I'm gonna. Here's a little broadcasting clue. Yeah. Never I think read. Mike Mullen wrote that. Never read your copy cold. Yeah. <laughs> no. Before I read. No. Actually, McMullen wrote that. Jimmy, welcome to the show. Why? Thank you. Great to have you. This is kind of a, we were talking about this yesterday, this is kind of a, a citizen of the valley type of conversation here. You've been here since 1989. I have. I love it here. Now, where did you grow up? What, what brought, and what brought you to the desert? Atlantic City, New Jersey. And like most Italians, you either are running from the law or you follow a relative that was running from the law who happened to live in the desert and you start your life. As an Italian, I resemble that remark. Are you going to mention any names? No, we never talk about no, it. We never no. mention names. Don't In fact, ask. my name's really not Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually Ignacio Raul Fernandez. This will be the first picture of our podcast where the middle person is blurred, blurred out. out. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy Francis, 
asked not to be identified. <laughs> yeah, so I moved here in 89 to go to college. Um, left Jersey, uh, grabbed my car, loaded it up, grabbed my dog, and drove cross-country to stay here with my uncle, get my residency, and transfer to a university somewhere in California. And I did. Went to the University of San Diego, met my wife right here in the desert. First week I was here at the what was the Hard Rock and whatever that hotel. It used to be the Marquee Hotel downtown. And then yes. it became the Hard Rock and Zozo Hotel and Zozo, Hard yeah. Rock again and Zozo again or whatever it is. It's going to be the McMullen soon, I hope. <laughs> and um, we met first the day I was working. I was a bellman of LA. She was front desk and gift shop. She was like my best buddy. I mean, I was just trying to hit all of her friends at that point. You know, she's like, oh my God, all these California girls. You know, this is amazing. And then she just kept me reining me in. And she's been reining me in since 89. So let me follow the path. You, you graduated from college and became a valet. No, I graduated high school, came out here, was a valet, went to COD for a year, and then followed my wife to University of San Diego. Got it. What did you then, take there? Business administration, management, and marketing minors. Yeah. And did that pretty much point you to your future careers? At first, it did not. I was getting ready for law school, and my father-in-law, who owned Palm Springs Welding here, and my wife wanted to take over the company because she was also a business admin grad, but on the economics and accounting side, you have all the personality, don't go to law school, come up here, run the company. I tell the story, but it uses a couple of bad words. It's okay. We, we, yeah. so <laughs> we've had a couple of years on here. Episodes. And then, you know, my father-in-law told me, he goes, you know, you're, you're an a-hole, but you're not that kind of a-hole. So why don't you come back and learn to run the business and have a good life? I know you love the desert. I'm like, I do. And I love your daughter. So move back up. Started taking over the company. In the first two years, I swept the floors, cut material, trying to learn everything from the bottom up. I'm like, if I'm going to run this place, I need to learn it. And got to be able to do everything that the guys could do. And then was out on a job site, saw structural steel going up at a house at Bighorn. And I'm like, why don't we do that? Well, if you want to get the license, go for it. But that's a lot of work. And I'm like, on it. So we got the license. And then we went from 12 employees to 30 to 50 to 60 to... Wow. Now, they started in 1964. Yep. Wow. So that was really kind of... Coming up on our 60th anniversary. Yeah, and, and the infrastructure of this valley was really starting to grow incredibly. Yeah, it was a lot different back then. And you guys had... Palm Springs Welding had a big piece of some of that. I mean, you've worked on some historical stuff in mm -hmm. town. Yeah, we did all this stuff downtown at the Vineyard. We did the Palm Springs Arch. was one of the first things I was involved with when I moved down here, that arch over downtown. Um, everything at that by that goofy fountain, you know, and all the <laughs> stuff downtown. And Yeah, so we've done a lot. And um, we did the Classic Club Clubhouse. That was a massive job. Now, wow. do you, so tell me about how you, you, you kind of changed the complexion of the business when you did the structural seal part because yeah. it, was, it was a different business. It was mom, that. pop. Uh, you need a gate. We'll make you a gate. Fences. Um, anything that was going on. And when I got in, like, uh, like a few weeks after I started the shop, a law went into effect here in the Valley or in California where you had to enclose all your pools. Right. So I'm like, we got to be on this. And we just started going out every HOA and started, you know, doing pool fences. We had a backlog of four years at one point. Wow. Of just pool fences. I'm I feel like, like, okay, I, that's good. Let's keep that going. I feel like I replaced my gate maybe a couple of weeks, two weeks too, too quick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you might have. <laughs> well, when it falls apart, you'll be able to. That's right. We get to, that a lot. With Jimmy. I'll, get, I'll get Jimmy's I number. paid this guy to do my gate and, you know, and then, you know, I gave him the money and he never showed back up. I'm like, well, that's weird. Okay. Well, here's what we do. And, you know, we need a 15% deposit. Well, I'm not giving you any money. Well, then you're not getting a gate. You gave the other guy money, but I'm only asking for 15%. Forget it. <laughs> Call me when you have to fix the gate. I and will. Then they do. I will say this. 
they installed the gate. I paid them after. They didn't even ask for a deposit. So I, I won't genius. Yeah, they were they were good people. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's made out of paper mache, but it should be it should be fine. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so the guys did a great job. Uh, Jimmy, talk a little bit though. I mean, because you said you know, mom and pop, you're doing pool fencing. Mm-hmm. Structural steel really changed the game for you. Oh, guys. it changed the game for us completely. The only people in the valley that were doing structural steel at the time were white steel out in India, and you know they kind of had the monopoly on it all. And then um, Saddleback Welding came from Orange County, started trying to get in to mix it, and all of a sudden there was three of us. And then with our reputation of being on time, being ahead of time, being cooperative, being easy to communicate with, we just started taking over the market immediately. So no, you work you know, classic club. Yep. So Other projects in town? Uh, the clubhouse at Canyons of Bighorn. Let's see. We've done so much out here. It's crazy. We're doing a lot out at the... Um, the racetrack now out at Thermal Club. Really? A lot of oh, those wow. houses and the club. That place is fantastic. It is. It's way out there, but it's fantastic. Yeah, it's a hall from... Yeah. Yeah. You get to yeah. spend time out there? No. No. <laughs> no, I... No. All right, I, well, he's wasted, not getting me in. I wasted a couple of years doing radio in the morning and, you know, So let's out. talk about yeah. that. Let's... I, I really... I was... Uh, in your intro, we were talking... It was the intro from your radio program. Let's talk about... So there was like four incarnations of the radio program. It started off with the Fantasy Warlock. He had a friend... A friend of mine was working with John doing his morning show, and he said, oh, my buddy does fantasy sports. He's a genius. He'd be a good show like for a Saturday night. So on Saturday nights, I started doing a fantasy football show. And then one day, I filled in for my friend as he had teeth removed. And it was a whole different morning show. We had a lot of fun, and it was great. And then, like, a couple weeks later, he wasn't there anymore. And John's like, you want to do the morning show? I'm like, no, man, that's messed up. I look really bad with my buddy if I'm now doing his morning show. (laughs) But I'll do one before that one. And he hired somebody else to do the main morning show. And I did, like, a pre-morning show with Shelly. And it was kind of fun. And then that didn't work, so we ended up doing a morning show. Thank you for not telling anybody that the guy who lost his teeth, it was because the program director took them out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a mess. But, um, yeah, so then it became... I miss iHub Radio. I do, too. <laughs> I had a lot of fun because it was like a quarter mile from my house in Palm Springs. It was like, this is great. I could go in there in my Speedo. It was awesome. But, uh, yeah, so I had a lot of fun doing that, and then it was like the morning show Better Than Working, as I think was the one incarnation of it, and then uh, the pandemic hit. Everything went on hold. And then we started doing one from my office. Well, we went back to the studio, and then we ended up doing one from my office. Yeah, I think we had another guy come you in. Know, and it was the like Jimmy Francisco show. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> what a coincidence. Quite original. It was so original. Yeah, he didn't want to use better than working. Where'd you come up with the name? <laughs> yeah, so bizarre. They had to find somebody named Jimmy Francisco. because They needed don't. an Italian show. Yeah, and I had a lot of fun with it, but it, I drove him nuts. Because, you know, he had these forms, and he does radio the right way. You know, hey... This is, I want you to write out what you're going to talk about, have it organized, have it spaced out so you know what you're going to do every hour, every, you know. And I'm like, yeah, okay, no problem. I never gave him one. Yeah, he did and that with in, me too. Yeah. And I walk in and just whatever mood I was in, whatever I felt at that moment, whatever popped up on the computer screen or Shelly played in the intro, it was like we went off. And then I don't even know half the stuff we talked about. Was there any kind of theme? Yeah, just uh, ADHD radio. I think it was pretty much it. It drove him insane. I know it did, and I and I feel for it. It was actually really fun. We did have a lot of fun though. Those are the those are the most fun kinds of radio. Yeah, we get into like, we get in these serious life conversations, and everything would be like you know, and like talking about people and be nice to each other. Why can't we just be kind to each other? And then the next day, it's like this jamoke behind me at Starbucks. <laughs> Do you believe these people? You should have seen the uh, arm wrestling matches between Jimmy and. Uh, 
uh, Dan McGrath. <clears throat> oh. Because oh. Dan's a big, tall guy. Yeah. I mean, Dan's got, got a height advantage there. Who won? Uh, well, I have a vagina advantage, so I did. <laughs> I'm not even sure what that means. I don't either. That's, I'm, that's I'm, what I mean. That's this is what happened on my radio show. Show description. This is what happened on the radio show, and then it's off the rails, and then everybody's like, "What the hell just happened?" So there really wasn't. That was funny. There wasn't a pandemic. John just said, "Hey, there's a problem. We can't do your show anymore." That wasn't in his intro. He didn't include that in the intro. Oddly. That's right. Uh, so give us a highlight from the show. I really I think enjoyed. Just did. Um, my favorite. I we interviewed Roy Firestone one day. Really? And that was so awesome. And he was supposed to be on for a segment, lasted almost an hour, I think. And we just talked and talked about his history of interviewing people and then his new love of performing and his like whole act he's doing. And it was awesome. And then at the end of it, I told him, I said, hey, I have Bernard Hopkins coming in the end of the week, the former middleweight champ. I'm going to Roy Firestone his ass. And Roy's like, what? I said, I'm going to make his ass cry. I'm going to get him crying before the credits finish on intro. He's like, no way. That guy is so tough. There's absolutely no way. So Bernard comes in, and I told Shelly, Bernard's song he walked into was Frank Sinatra's My Way. It was very emotional for Bernard Hopkins. He was like, he always did it his way. He was in jail. He came out. He came from nothing. He's the champ. And he said, I know it's going to get him. Because I'm from back east. He's a Philly boy. I was wearing an Eagles jersey that day. He knew. He walked in. He's like, oh, my people. You know, he sat down. He puts the headphones on. It starts. And so, and boom, tears. And I'm like, and he starts crying. And he's talking to me like, damn, dog, you got me. That song means so much. So much. 20 20 seconds later on the screen, bink, messages. You know, you get the text messages in. You freaking did it. It was Roy Firestone. And I'm like, yes! Oh, that's so that awesome. was my favorite. I think that was my favorite moment. That's yeah, fantastic. That I got it. How'd you get Bernard Hopkins on your radio Well, John show? had this relationship with the people with um, the casino Fantasy and Fantasy Springs, Springs and, they do the, uh, and uh, De La Hoya and all that. Got so it. they would always have these guys come in. So we did um, Buster Douglas was the first interview from them. And then it was uh, Bernard. Is Golden Boy? Golden Boy. Yeah, Golden, Golden Boy. Boy. Yeah, Golden yeah. Boy. Yeah, and then it was um, Bernard and then um, Michael Moore before the pandemic hit. And the Michael Moore conversation went really deep. Like, it went from cordial to all of a sudden talking about how boxers don't have a players union, per se, like the NHL, the NFL, and everything, and these bo- the boxers don't get taken care of. Right. And we just had this amazing intellectual conversation about this, and I'm like, what the hell just happened? You well, know? that was a big deal to him. Yeah, it was. And yeah. I'm like, you beat George Foreman. Right. Well, let's talk about this. You know, it was like... <laughs> But it was really cool. But that's the way the radio show went for me. We'd be talking, and then we'd connect on something, and then there we go. But that was really an amazing conversation. And with Buster, it was funny. We ended up talking about chicken wings for about 25 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Equally deep conversation. Yeah, it was so in-depth. It was like, but you got to come to, you know, and I have a standing invitation to Ohio where he lives. He lives near Chappelle, too. He's like, you got to come out. There's a chicken wing place there. You're going to love it. And I'm like, well, we'll see. And, uh, but he was awesome. I would take him up on that. That that's yeah. a good invite. Yeah, that's a good invite. Yeah. Uh, talk about balancing this. I mean, because you're obviously still running mm-hmm. your company along with your wife. Yep. Maybe, maybe you just kind of said, "Honey, you handle this. Well, I'm going to do radio." She's uh, la. Everybody at the office is. She calls her La Patrona, and I'm El Tiburon, which is the shark. So La Patrona runs things, and El Tiburon swims around like a great white, great, great white shark, nice and quiet. Everything's cool. But as soon as he smells blood, he's going to attack real quick, and then he's going to go back to swimming real calm, so don't piss him off. <laughs> so it kind of runs itself now, which lets me do radio shows 
and then it you know and, and then it morphed into now coaching soccer and then building a soccer club and going crazy with that and also being an expert in fantasy football yeah that started in the early 90s this could take the next 45 minutes let's go that started in the early 90s when i was in college at usd and some guys from the ymca all the athletic directors from the ymca started this fantasy football league what the hell is that and they're like well it's like i'm like oh we kind of used to do that when we were kids but with baseball cards and then different things you know and we keep stats and take bets on them you know jersey yeah we hey i bet schmidt goes Oh, for 20 in the next at bat, 20 at-bats, you yeah. know? What are the odds? Stratomatic. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I joined this league, and I'm like, oh, this was so much fun. And we had a great time. It was all the, you know, little directors of the sports programs at the different YMCAs in San Diego. That I, and I was working at the one in Mission Valley. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then a buddy of mine ends up being the guru. You ever John Hansen? Yeah. The guru? We went to the same high school in Jersey. Wow. Epsigami High School. He was, a few, he was a senior when I was a freshman. So two years later, I'm like, who the hell is that? Is that Hanson? He's like on this radio show, and he's talking about fantasy football on uh, Jim Rome's show, I think it was, at night. Yeah, Rome is burning. Yeah, no, this is like, in a, like Jim Rome's like a, early shows in San oh, Diego. Oh, oh, when he was oh, on oh, like oh, uh, yeah. whatever the hell that station was, the Mighty 690. X-Gen and became extra, yeah. So he, and I'm like, is that freaking John Hansen? Like, oh my God, the guru. Now he's the guru for fantasy football. And we never connected. And I'm, I'm like, man, I really kind of missed that boat, like getting involved in that early enough. And then when the internet hit, you know, fantasy football just went crazy. Because yeah. we were doing it for about 10 years with the newspaper on Monday morning and Tuesday taking the stats. And you had to agree on what newspaper the stats were coming from or they didn't count. Right, it was it was difficult before yeah. the internet. Now it's a yeah. lot easier, and, and and Randy's much more of a, a fantasy football guy than I am. Uh, I've I've dabbled in it, and I don't love it. Let's play for money. Well, when they started giving points, like if you got a uh, an interception, you got two points. Like now, that's not how it works. Now it's just Dungeons and Dragons for football. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're it, it making insane. stuff up. You're making stuff up. Yeah, don't make stuff up. If you if you b- abide by the rules of real football, yeah. but apply it to the then the players, and then I I can get into it. But when you start, just yeah, you're out of my league. It is gone completely in a lot of ways. Insane. It, with it, like this, I have a league that I'm running now, like a ghost league, and I've been playing with the scoring format for about two years because so many things change all the time and all the rules change and everybody wants points for their players for all the right stuff and they need to be getting points taken away for the wrong stuff missed field goals longer touchdowns shorter touchdowns you know those kind of things was it a handoff the quarterback shouldn't get a you know it's a four yard pass so why is he getting and I'm like it's still a touchdown but I mean you obviously you're very into it and you love it I mean for me I guess my issue is like it becomes more fantasy than football when you start right. saying, okay, like a, a 60 yard touchdown is worth 10 points, and you know, mm-hmm. a regular touchdown is worth six. Hey, so, have yeah. you done fantasy in any other sports? I have done every sport you can imagine. In fact, when we did the radio show, um, <laughs> you remember what I did with, uh, I, we were just laughing one night. I said, you know what, I'm going to go online right now and I'm going to join some international soccer league fantasy soccer league so we went on and I went on and I found one from Spain and it was a La Liga fantasy soccer league and I got in paid and I was already like a week behind so I missed the first week but I got in and they accepted me and everybody there was from Spain and they lived for for football they did not like me because I would go on and I would talk smack On their webpage. They don't trash talk in those Oh, they leagues? were. They were trash talking me the whole oh, time. Oh. It was great. But I would go on and I would put it in German. 
I would put it in Italian. <laughs> I would put it in English. And then, you know, I put it in French. And then I would, you know, in parentheses, I'm like, Canadian French, you know, and just messing with them. <laughs> but I started like wire to wire after that first week. I started killing them. And they were not happy about it. And I kept talking smack and talking smack. And it was the funniest thing ever. And by the end of the season, I won. And I'm like, where's my money? You know, and it's like, never got paid. But it's okay. I got the I got the uh, Football I got the was the only one I could stay with. Because yeah. I tried ice hockey fantasy. Oh, that was my and favorite. I literally Honestly, had to be watching it. Fantasy? Oh, fantasy fantasy league. ice hockey? Yeah. And, and you literally had to... <laughs> I mean, things were happening 15 times a day. I couldn't even get my yeah. job done because yeah, I was watching waiver wires. And I'm not, I loved fantasy hockey because I just wanted to beat my friends when they said they were always trying to get me like, hey, we did a, we're doing a hockey league. You know, we want you in it because they figured they'd take my money then and it never worked. Yeah. I figure it out and then I'm going to kill you. And, you know, there's a way <laughs> to win these things. That's It's like, um, you know, we always joke around about, do you gamble? I'm like, no, I'm Italian. I only gamble if I know I'm going to win. <laughs> so... Oh, have so you it's, have it's you had uh, all lady. those things are fixed? Really, it, they it's are. just a matter of how to find a fix. Well, no one likes to break their friends' kneecaps. I mean, it's just, no, but I love busting my friends' balls more than anything. <laughs> and at the end of the football season or the hockey season, drinking out of the big cup at the draft the following year, making them, you know, like, hey, look, my name's on it. Like the last seven years, are you guys going to take this from me or what? <laughs> you know, that's the best. But the hockey one is tough because you have to keep track of ice time and there's so many variables. And baseball like, was the same way. It yep. was crazy. Well, you'd love the baseball league I have. I've been, we've had this league for 25 years. We have minor league systems, the whole deal. So you have a franchise and you have a whole minor league system. It's insane. Randy, I'm not that smart. Now that yeah. you're retired, you can do yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm not any smarter just because I'm retired. <laughs> You have more time. So, you know, the precursors for fan- this is a story I was just thinking of a couple of days ago. Precursors to fantasy football. 1967, I lived in Fremont, California, and the newspaper did a. Uh, God, I was still an itch in my daddy's oh, pants. We- <laughs> I don't even want to tell you where that itch came from. Anyway, um, the Fremont Argus newspaper did a weekly football pool. And readers would write in and make their picks. One week, my mom won. This is 1967. Yeah, except there wasn't a man in town that was happy about it. So what the Argus did to make everybody feel better is they quoted my mom as saying, when they said, how did you pick your teams? By their uniforms. That's what the paper said. My mom, I've never seen her angrier in her life. I know more about football than anybody in this town. I don't even know what uniforms they have. Yeah. So women have become a big part. We had a a woman in our league this last time that got to the championship game against me. Yeah, I have a picture of my sister and I at Christmas about 12 years ago, and we're both sitting there with our laptops like this, showing I just won my fantasy title, and she just won hers. And we're like, eh, and it's like the dumbest picture ever. So which quarterback are the 49ers going to play this year? They're better off with your mom at quarterback, I'll be honest with you. Right. She's dead, Honestly, so I don't think that's going to do much. Well, sorry, sorry about it. I've seen some of their backups. Um, you know what? Purdy, really, all t- of them. Ugh. I'm going to tell you something very, just very quickly, a little aside. Okay. In the interest of diversity, equity, and inclusion, when you say that a woman reached the championship game against you, don't sound surprised. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Just try to help you out there. I've been married 42 years, and I have not learned all my lessons yet. <laughs> I have to say. Like, that should come not as a shock oh, to you. Yeah. yeah, we're coming up on our 30th, Can and my wife still is like, why are we uh, 
why do you do fantasy sports? I'm like, I don't know. Would you rather me chasing you around all night? No, I'll keep doing it. It's all good. <laughs> Is she involved in any of <laughs> no, them? No, no, no. Not even it. No interest whatsoever. So talk to us about the soccer, because you've gotten involved. You've built a yeah, soccer so club. This is competitive. When I was in San Diego in college, I ran a sports program for a YMCA down there. So we did indoor soccer, outdoor soccer, basketball, you know, floor hockey, the whole deal. And had started coaching club basketball and soccer down there on the side, trying to make money and hustling because I was paying my own way through USD. And the University of Spoiled Daughters was pretty expensive for a Jersey <laughs> boy. Yeah, so... I know. I went down there. I'm like, oh my god! It lives. In, it lives for the name. I mean, you're spoiled. All these other girls are spoiled, and I'm just this big jamoke sitting there, just like, forget about it. Yeah. Um, so I started coaching, and I really loved coaching, and I loved connecting with kids because I had a bunch of jerk coaches when I grew up, and everybody's you know yelling, and I played every sport, and um, I always thought you know eventually I'd love to coach and help maybe give the kids what I wish I would have had. So that passed, and I moved back up here, and I started coaching immediately up here, in, you know, with the YMCA up here in basketball, found some soccer to coach, and then, you know, started traveling with my wife before we had kids, and then once we had kids, I stopped coaching completely, and then a few years later, my daughter decided she wanted to play soccer. Uh-huh. The other daughter went to dance, and I'm like, perfect, because I know nothing about dance. I could just be a dance dad and drop you off and come pick you up, hang out with the moms. This is fantastic. <laughs> But, um, Hang out with the moms. No, that never worked because my wife hung out with the moms, and I ended up with soccer with the little one. And yeah, and so you're a soccer the first, mom. The first couple of years, I, one of the girls from our team, one of our girls that went off to college to play last year, sent me. A, I have a thing at home. I should have brought it. It says "World's Best Soccer Mom." And it's a painting she made, and there's me in the corner. I'm like, oh, is that what I look like? Awesome. But, but um, you know, my daughter started, and I didn't want to coach my kid. I've seen that game way too many times I'm like this never works on any level so I just sat back and just watched and watched and I'm just sitting there on the sideline just like oh oh and the coach hey uh Tim do you know anything about coaching and soccer I'm like yes (laughs) and then it was on and out then you know four months later can you be on our board at AYSO can you do this so can you coach? And I'm like, well, I'm already a licensed coaching trainer, so I can help your tra- your coaches. I'll train the younger coaches and give them stuff to do. To- and so I started doing that, coaching my daughter's team, and then it was the all-star teams. And then they got to a point where they were too good for AYSO, and they needed to go to the club level. And, and the club level is very difficult, a lot of travel, a lot of money involved. A lot of travel. Whether it's softball, basketball, soccer especially now. And, you know, with the, with the Women's World Cup taking off from 99 all the way through, women's soccer just exploded. exploded. Yeah. So it became this money grab for youth sports. And I saw that coming with the money grab, <laughs> but it was, like, really difficult to not go play club. You needed to if you wanted to get exposure and you wanted to go to college and all those things. Right. That was the, our daughter did club, yeah. club volleyball. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, whew. So we put her in club with her, a few of her friends from the all-star teams, sat back again as a dad. It was a local club here in Palm Desert. It will shower name nameless, but it begins with Palm Desert and ends with soccer club. And um, they had it's pretty the, girls, the girls had a dad coach to start, and his daughter was the goalkeeper. Nicest guy in the world, nicest kid in the world, terrible goalkeeper, and he had never coached before. And I'm like, We're, I have all these people paying all this money for club soccer, and the coach doesn't know what he's doing. And then he would ask me questions and then do the opposite. And I'm like, oh, God. You know, so I'm like, this you is terrible. Told him the opposite. So then it was like. So you had him whacked. So and then you- six months, five different coaches in six months. And then they're rotating back through. And I'm like, the girls are not. This is not what the parents are like freaking out. Like, coach, what the hell? And I'm like, 
we'll figure it out. And then as time went on, I like, kept asking a question. Who is going to coach them going forward? What's the plan for tournaments? What's their development plan? Never got an answer, never got an answer. And I said, well, I'm pulling my daughter. She's losing interest. She's hating us now. And then all the other parents followed and said, can we do something? And I said, fine. So I put a team together with them. And then it became a team that I said, I will put it together and I will ride this out with these girls till they graduate high school. And then that's it. If my daughter decides to play basketball or never plays again, I will stay and see it through with these girls. I'll get them sponsored. I'll, do, I'll sponsor it myself for now. Found another club in Cathedral City. They took us in. Let us do our own thing. He was happy just to get paid up front. And then, hey, do whatever you want. You know, I'm like, yeah, we're out of here. Just we're going to be over here, but we'll wear your colors. And every year they got better and better, and more kids started coming to the team, and everybody's word got out, and it started becoming a monster. Wow. By the time they graduated, nine girls went on to soccer scholarships. Six went on for academic scholarships to college. So, so you now have a reputation in town. So, as they're graduating <laughs> out, we have these girls a year younger that are, like, on the team. And, and you like, can't abandon them. Can't abandon them. So, I'm like, well, we'll just keep building around them. So, how we many years have, have you been doing it? Well, it's been about eight, nine years again. <laughs> and then they graduate out. But now we have an 05 team. And then this other 07 team, whose coach abandoned them after going to the Nationals, they don't know what to do. So, they came in. So, now we have two teams. And I'm like, we need fields. And I don't want to be a part of this club anymore because he's not cooperating the right way. I told them, we'll run the high school stuff and get it the right way. We already know what we're doing. We know how to get these kids seen, talking to coaches, explaining to them and their parents, this is how you email a coach. This is how you do it. Take the game film, because we film everything. Send them this. He had wanted no part of it. My club, my rules. He just wanted money. And I'm like, okay, well, we're out. So we'll just do it on our own. So I called up our friends in Ukaipa, the Spartans, and said, we're going to be your desert region. I'll find our own fields. And we're just going to use your 5013C, and we're going to be a part of you, but we're going to do... I don't we'll want do to have to do with that, but here's what we're doing. They're like, perfect, go do it. And then I'm like, okay, but we need five teams if we're going to host games in the desert because we don't want to have all our games away. Like, oh. So we developed a baby team of seven-year-olds and then the 10-year-olds because I'm looking around at practice... And I'm like, hey, wait a minute, how old's your little sister? How old's your little sister? <laughs> how old's your little brother? And now we had five teams last year, and now we have eight this year. Wow. Um, it, um, the um, Chairman Daryl out at the uh, Spotlight 29, yes. Daryl's the greatest, he um, had a nice conversation with him. He's like, use our fields. They're yours. So Great. we've been using the grass out there at Coachella Crossroads for almost two years now. They've been a wonderful host. We love having our own security force. It's fantastic. <laughs> How much traveling are you having to do? Oh, I do a lot. Yeah. Like we're, we just got back from, well, we've been in Oceanside, Temecula, Phoenix this year. Um, well, we've been down in San Diego, Oceanside, and Temecula a lot. But we're getting ready. We'll be in Irvine in two weeks, followed by Oceanside. And then the day after, the day of the finals, we have to get in the car and drive up to Denver for national finals for our older girls team. Oh, my goodness. So 17 hours straight there to get there a few hours before the first game on Tuesday. And then the girls will all be up there a day and a half before. And I have a buddy up there that's a coach that's going to train them up there in the altitude for a day or so before they have to play. We did that last year because we took two teams to the MPL finals. What age groups uh, participate in this? So we have the, the oldest age group is basically girls going into their senior year. And that's made up of juniors and seniors. And then we have a team that's made up of freshmen and sophomores. Uh, and that's our 08-born team. So we have an 06-born team and 08-born team. We have two 2012-born teams, an A and a B, a developmental squad feeding the main team. And then we have uh, 2015 girls, which is babies, seven, eight-year-olds. And they're hysterical. They've won like the last five tournaments in a row. They're like 
walking around flexing <laughs> on everybody. And we're like, oh my God, the, we're turning them and their parents into monsters, you know? It's like, now, if you're a parent of somebody on a comp team, you probably have to have like nine jobs just to support. Yeah, so that's kind of why we did it. It was easy the first year with just one team. And then as it went to two teams, three teams, five teams, my wife and my accountant are like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> like, seriously, you realize how much money you're spending on all this stuff? I'm like, really? They're like, yeah. I'm like, well, we're not donating anywhere else. Just write it off, man. <laughs> you know, it's because we years ago. It's a write-off. When I started talking about doing the thing with our daughter's team, you know, my wife and I were at that kind of crossroads with community. Because, you know, we're all a part of this community. And the easiest thing to do for every one of us in community service is just write a check. You know, someone's like, yeah. hey, you know, can you help out with this? Sure. Here's a check or whatever. But we always wanted to be more than that. My father-in-law got us in Lions Club, like right out of college. And, you know, we were the grunts for the Lions Club and all the old timers from Palm Springs are like, well, you got to pay your dues. I'm like, pay my dues. I'm like, community service. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> pay my dues. Jeez. But, um, you know, we learned quick. It's like, you know, you need to be involved to make sure whatever you're giving is actually going in the right place. Yeah. yeah. So we were involved with raising money for the Y and the Y out here has run very well, but they have so much cost on just keeping it going that when you raise money every year for a new facility that we're still waiting on after 23 years of raising millions for, it still hasn't happened, you start getting a little jaded. You're like, look, we give all this money, we do all this stuff, we know it's good, we know it can be good, we know some people are doing the right thing, and even the ones that want to do the right thing can't because they still have to pay this, and then the building, you know, the plumbing went out, and then, you know, things just snowball on these organizations. So I'm like, well, here, we're just going to take care of this group of kids, and we know exactly the benefit. They're going to be better human beings. Yeah. So all the girls that come through the program, and now the boys, we have boys this year, we, the parents, we sit them down and go, it's about your kid first and foremost. It's not about the team or the club. The team is the vessel. The club is the mothership to get your kid where they want to go. Along the way, communication, consistency, uh, stability, accountability. These are the most important things. Consistency. If they're here and they're showing up and putting in the work and listening, they're going to go. And whether it's soccer or not, you know, like, I love the kids that go on academic scholarship and not soccer. Because it's like, you just, we had a girl that went last year. I didn't, sorry, coach. I didn't know how to tell you I'm not going to play in college. I'm like, yeah, I know it sucks, but you're going to Berkeley on academic scholarship. <laughs> I'm you might be okay. super proud of you for that. Like, <laughs> we, we did I don't care right. if you ever kick a ball again, because when you first joined this team in seventh grade, I thought you were special ed. And she was, she wasn't going to class. She's skipping class in seventh grade. Skipping school. And I'm like, and now she's going to Berkeley in academic scholarship. I couldn't be more proud of the kid. And What's the longest you've, you've coached any one kid besides your own? Um, well, my daughter ended up, she ended up getting hurt in 2018. Tore her knee. Came back to practice after the surgery. Tore the other knee. First practice Oh, back. my goodness. Yeah. And um, so she stopped playing. But I kept going with the team at, for the four years after that because I told them I would. And then it just morphed into all this. But the longest for one team was probably that team was nine years. Wow. Yeah. That, at those ages, that's something. Yeah, so it's kind of exciting now that we have the little 2015s. Because, like, you know, if we keep this little group of girls together and we keep adding to it, we're going to have them for 11 years. That's hysterical. That's you know? it's fantastic, though. Yeah. I mean, but, you, you know, we watch these kids grow up and, you know, and you're, hopefully you're become a, good human beings. Yeah. You know, we tell the parents all the time and people that want to donate or don't donate. I'm like, look, one of these kids could be standing over you on an operating table one day. And they'll remember you if you help. donated. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, one of these kids might pull you over and either give you a ticket or not give you a ticket. You know, one of these kids might show up to fix your air conditioner. 
you never know. But the more we give to them to make them better human beings, the easier it's going to be for us later. Yeah. Where did this part come from you? This this community involvement, the I think work it's with my philanthropy. Back home, and it's yeah, just you just didn't want to suck. And I'm like, I'm going to be better than this. <laughs> my mom and dad are, are are psychopath, drug addict, alcoholic messes that were divorced and broken up the whole our whole life. Wait, are you being serious right now? I'm dead serious. So, you know, one of my best friends' fathers pulled me aside when I was getting in a little trouble when I was about fourth, fifth grade. And he said, you know what? You're going to be just like your parents if you don't straighten out. You're very smart. You have to be better than them. Do better. And that meant something and to you like, at the time. And he's like, stop hanging around with these a-holes. Yeah. And I'm like, Judge Guerrero, that's your son. He goes, my son is an a-hole. He's in fifth grade. I'm like, he's an a-hole. Junior, freshman year in high school. Hey, Judge, how you doing? Told you my son was an a-hole. I'm like, I know, I know. He's like, you doing good? Yeah, I'm doing great. But that was our, our county judge, Judge Guerrero, was a good friend of our families, and I was always hanging out with his son, Jason, and, uh, you know, Jason ended up in jail, just like a lot of the Italians and friends of mine that I grew up with near Atlantic City, but he was, uh, the, that was big. And then another family friend, you know, family just like, hey, be better. Don't let your parents' situation affect you. It has nothing to do with you. They're their own problem. Be the best you can be. Yeah. So I remembered all that, and I wanted to bring that to more people, more kids. Was philanthropy a big part of Palm Springs welding? Oh, yeah. Mike, Mike was a Lions Club member. Um, this is your father. Yeah, my father-in-law. Marcel LaTulip went by Mike. <laughs> yeah, he, um, he donated wherever he could with everything. You know? And um, he was very active with Lions Club. He was the one that was doing all the work. He was the one that, you know, they're serving drinks at the car auction. He's the one schlepping the drinks and yelling at me for putting too much tequila. Hey, that costs money. I'm like, shut up. These people keep coming back buying because I'm getting them shit-faced. <laughs> oh, God. You know, but, um, yeah, it was, uh, but, yeah, Mike you know, brought that part in, you know, it's like, if you have, you know, how much do you really need? Can you give without hurting your family? Yeah. And that was the thing. So now I'm getting to that point where my accountant and my wife are like, dude, Hey, seriously, <laughs> slow down. You know, it's either uh, charity or soccer. Eight teams. So come on, man. Like, <laughs> pump the brakes. Start finding sponsors. All right. You are obviously passionate about a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And I, I can tell that you love your business, but yes. you, you've gotten that to the point where, as you said, it sort of runs yeah. itself. Yeah. Which, what's your biggest passion? Ooh. I mean, well, is it the kids? Is it my own kids? I mean, my, my family. I mean, you know, it has to start at home, and that's what I try to tell our kids from soccer, too, and the parents. Take care of yours at home first, and then work out. Because if you're not raising solid people at home and taking care of them, being passionate about them and raising them, you're just going to add to the problem. Yeah. So when... Your kid's being an a-hole at practice, and I tell you about it. Don't blame me. Look in the mirror. <laughs> right? I get tired of hearing the stories about a kid's being a total jerk at school, and then they go to a parent conference, and the parents are yelling at the teacher. It's the teacher's fault that the kid keeps showing up being a jerk every day in class, and the teachers have no power to deal with that, which is terrible. Well, it's, it is, it's a huge problem. Huge. I mean, the, the, the Accountability has gone way out. It, it is almost non-existent in a lot of places. Yep. Well, the worst two years of my life, I can think I can honestly say this, were spent as the Little League president <laughs> up in Northern California. And the problem was not the kids. It was never the kids. Never. It was We joke about it parents. all the time. In fact, I was talking to a parent today. I said, you know, if you and us can kind of get out of their way, they're just going to be fine. Yeah. You know, don't fight with us. Either trust it. If we're not for you, it's okay. We're not mad at you. If your kid is not elite... 
go play YSO. Go have, let them have fun. They don't, this, sometimes the parents want it more than the kids. The kids are just happy to be with their friends. But it's our job, and this is the part where it's like George Carlin used to say, everybody loves that you're honest until you're honest with them. <laughs> <laughs> then you're just an a-hole, right? <laughs> so I like that. Is but it's true, because the, the hardest part is like, look, I don't think little Susie is really up for the challenge. Why do you say that? Well, it takes her 45 minutes to get her cleats on while she's joking around and trying to pants her friends. <laughs> and she cries when she has to go to the bathroom by herself. And she's 14. Yeah. Like, Doesn't sound like Olympic material. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, so it's like we're very fair with playing time, but you have to earn it. You know, we said, look, if you're go- this is like getting your first scholarship. If you're in, you're in. But you got to keep it. Or there's going to be somebody else here to take your spot. Right? So it's like life. Yeah. You're doing you're at job at your job. Someone wants your job. And you want the job ahead of you and so forth. So you give out a lot of participation trophies at some oh, time. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> no. He just, brought one for us. I just yeah. I just said that to see the pain on his face. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned the participation trophy because in ninety three, right before I left the YMCA in San Diego, we had a big discussion with the executives from all the youth sports programs in San Diego County YMCA. They wanted and they did. And I'm glad I was out at that point. They eliminated first place, second place, third place. They, they eliminated all-star teams, and they, they just wanted everybody to get participation awards and just everybody have fun and come in. And I'm like, okay. I was the only one that voted against it, and I couldn't believe some of the other guys just went along with it. But they needed their jobs, and they were all YMCA corporate for life. But they were just like, okay, boss. I'm like, <laughs> but the argument was simple. If you take away that kind of competitive spirit and drive, what do kids have to be motivated for? So I remember being a kid, taking second place, watching those guys at the banquet going and getting their first place trophies and looking at my teammates going, that's us next year. We're not doing that again. And then you get better and you want to go and you want to work to get better. It's like anything in life. It's like if, well, if I just show up at work and we're all getting paid the same, well, why do I really need to work? So we almost killed a generation and a half or two generations of kids by taking away competitive drive. Well, we're not doing anybody any favors. No. Because when you get out into the workforce, nope. Uh, I mean, our television station is a great place to work. We don't give out participation trophies. You know, you got to come in and do your job every day. Yeah. And, and, and the idea is to be the best at what you do. And you better go get Patrick his damn coffee. It, cut his toenails and when he fast. says, and, and do it on fast. time. Yeah, I mean, you pay your dues. I'm tired of showing up we at have, the station. We have eliminated the whole idea of learning and paying your dues and growing and and competing. Well, I, you know, and I think certainly post pandemic we see that there are a lot of places that can't hire enough people, and it's not that there aren't enough warm bodies out mm-hmm. there, but we we've sort of yeah. eliminated a little bit of work ethic in. in you know, and, and it, it's... It's true. It's unfortunate. I but see it, it in it, our business. We're seeing it. You know, I'm sure you do. Trying to get younger. Like, our, our work, our, our group of guys is getting old. A lot of them are in their 50s and now. It's, and it's 60. not a young man's job. It is not. And... I mean, not an old man's We job. can't get young guys in because they don't want to get dirty. They don't want to work. They want to just sit at home, look at porn, play video games... And sit in the bedroom. They don't want to do anything. Well, I'm well, sorry I was late for the podcast. You're painting a bad picture of those activities, and I don't know why. But, 
Damn blue light. <laughs> Everything has its place. Yeah. Right. Oh, my God. If we, had the, if we had the internet when we were kids, I probably would have never left the house. This is the, you know, this is going to be the one podcast that Andrea yeah. actually listens to. She will yeah. listen to. <laughs> you must stop that podcast now. Wait a minute. I can't find my cousin's Playboys. What the hell? Well, the internet? That's, wow. What a game changer. <laughs> what a game changer. And right? it's free. Like, oh, oh, my yeah. God. This is crazy. So through all of this stuff that you've done in the valley, the... the, the, the <laughs> The uh, welding company, yeah. the the important historical work that you've done, growing a new generation of people that hopefully will be understand the importance of achieving later in life. You've run into some characters in this town that people know. Yeah. The la- name Larry Ellison came up a couple of times. Larry? You have a relationship with Larry? We did a bunch of stuff up at Porcupine Creek when he bought it. We did a bunch of iron work and... After he bought the island in Lanai, mm-hmm. he decided to rip apart an old like motel and turn it into like a resort. Mm-hmm. He still has his Four Seasons on the water, but he wanted to make like a super Four Seasons on the other side of the island. And this island's tiny. It's just a little runway, one stoplight, some locals, and a shitload of deer. Can't believe how many deer are on this thing. Best venison I've ever had. <laughs> That's why yeah, he serves it. Uh, it's unreal. The, yeah. Unbelievable. So we were... They were remodeling everything, and they had these really killer old handrails, guardrails for these patios that they wanted to use, but they needed to redo the building, and they couldn't use the old ones. But they wanted the same design, and it's all solid steel. It has to be solid because you're on an island. It's right. very humid, all and it's going to rust. Water, and, all salt water. Yeah. yeah. So they couldn't get somebody over there to do it and do it right. So their architect, Larry and the architect were like, call Palm Springs Welding, see what they can do. So they, we flew out there, and 24 hours later, flying back, and then we did all the railing, and we sent it over, and it's up and it's beautiful. What made Larry think of you? Had you done previous work? Yeah, we did stuff at their house, and people were, other people were saying, no, that can't be done, and I'm like, bullshit, anything can be done. Yeah. How much do you want to pay? That's right. Everything, yeah. Great craftsmanship comes at a price. Right. And I swear, once we, we sent them the price on the stuff we did for them over there in Lanai, I'm like, damn it. They, they signed that way too quick. That's right. That's right. Like, I'm like, this, is, this sounds way too expensive. Yeah. And they, uh, but it wasn't. You know, they, it was fair. It was, we made some money on it but, it, but we didn't even have to go over there. We just fabbed it, put in a contain, painted it and put in a container, and they sent the paint, the special paint, and then... We just put in a container. They took it and shipped it over there. I would have demanded to go over there, though. Oh, I, d- I went back and but, checked it out. <laughs> you got to check. Come on. There's got to be an inspection. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> got to be an inspection. Yeah. It was great watching Kavanaugh get reamed in front of Congress before he became uh, a Supreme, Supreme Court, Court justice. justice with some locals in this little thing eating spam and eggs. It was the best. Like, this is the best. These people are like, who is this guy? He looks like a creep. It was so funny. <laughs> he likes right. beer. Yeah. He yeah. likes beer. He I likes really beer. like beer. Yeah. It was so funny. But I'm like, this is like on the other side of the world on an island, and we're watching this at this little like restaurant. It was hysterical. But yeah, it's a beautiful island. You are like a shotgun. You're all over the place. I'm telling you, you ADHD so radio at its finest. Uh, so if you had to pick one thing, hmm. what would it be? Right now? Yeah. I don't know. I'm kind of enjoying this. Guys Sitting like, well, here? You guys want to do this every night? Just do this every night. I'll bring weenies. It'll be just fantastic. Show up. Just show up every night. Randy is conti- con- continually auditioning for the role of sidekick. <laughs> I'm hanging on weekly. <laughs> You'd look good over here. I-, I have a question for you. So yeah. when we first started this podcast, mm-hmm. the premise was going to be kind of music-oriented. Oh, yeah. Well, I love music. And one of the things that, that we were going to ask people is, 
were there songs was there music that meant something in your life where you hear that record today and you go right back there um it was funny we just had this conversation on a seven hour soccer drive like assistant coach and i co-coach tom assistant coach he's he's the main head of coaching i run the thing now so let's give him his due but he's genius and we were talking about music and favorite songs and what they meant and you know the, the one we were listening and time pink floyd came on and you know, ticking away the moments that make up a dull day. Yeah. You fritter and waste the hours in an offhand way. You know, and that meaning of, you know, you know, kicking, you know, and then the whole thing about, um, you know, you missed the starting gun. You know, somebody told you, nobody told you when to run, you missed the starting gun. You know, that always resonated when I heard that song when I was a kid. Like, don't miss the starting gun. Get out there. Do it. You know, don't wait. And then where the streets have no name, you too, you know. Uh, that line near the end, where, you know, um, I want to go where the streets have no name. And when I go there, I go there with you. That's all I can do. I, you know, it just takes me right to my wife because mm-hmm. that's her favorite band. And God, I've seen you two way too many times. Like, I can't even go see him anymore. They like, annoy me. <laughs> I love Bono and everything, but it's like, dude, could you just stop it? Sick of Bono. Stop, dude. Stop it, Bono. Can you do some cover songs, Bono? Yeah. Tired of your stuff. <laughs> Killing me, buddy. Freebird. Free yeah. How about a little King of the Road? Can we get that? <laughs> yeah, we just went back to the New York City in May to see him at the Beacon Theater do his book tour thing. Oh, and, I'm, yeah. and I'm like, it was her Christmas present because I know she really wanted it. And I'm thinking, okay, New York pizza, that's great. We'll do that. And then I'll, I'll be able to sit through the show. And I was sitting there for two hours like, oh, I just want to get back to the hotel. I interviewed Bono at the uh, Palm Springs International Film Festival along with The Edge. Who's fantastic, by the way. Uh, and I, but I will tell you this. I could not remember for the life of me The Edge. Yeah. And so the whole interview, I'm like, I'm here with Bono and you too. <laughs> another <laughs> member of you. And <laughs> you three. Thank God about halfway through, he was like, well, me and the Edge here. And I'm like, oh, it's yeah. the Edge. Thank you. <laughs> it's like, Jesus. It's like, what's his name? And then you just try to lead your buddy into finding out what the other person's name is. Yeah, it was. We uh, met the Edge in Seattle after their, on their Pop Mart tour. It was the last night of their tour. And my wife gets the fan club tickets since we were like right out of high school into college. So. We, were, we flew up for that show. We went to opening night in Vegas, San Diego, Los Angeles, Phoenix. We saw them all over the country. And then it was the last night of the tour in Seattle. And the next morning, they were at the Four Seasons. We were at the hotel right next door. We're at the Starbucks across the street in the corner. Edge comes out with his bodyguard, goes to the car, and then starts walking across the street towards Starbucks. And my wife's like, oh, my God, Edge is coming to Starbucks. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. He walks in. So Jimmy starts talking to him. My wife's sitting at the table like this. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh my God. <laughs> Stop embarrassing me, Jimmy. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And we're talking. He's like, oh, did you go to the show? I said, yeah, it was great. It was awesome. I said, much better than the opening night. He goes, oh, you were in Vegas? I'm like, oh, dude. He goes, yeah, the technical stuff was terrible. And he goes, but we got it fixed. I said, yeah, I know, because we were in San Diego a few nights later. And he's like, oh, you guys have been all over the place with it. I said, yeah, let me get your coffee. He's like, well, I should buy you coffee. You bought all those tickets. And I'm like, yeah, you should. So I let him buy our coffee. And he bought our coffee. And then I go back and sit down, my wife, and he walked out and took a picture with somebody. And I'm like, oh, man, it's a shame we didn't have a camera. And he walks away, and my wife goes, uh, pulls out a camera. I'm like, dude, like you, this is your band. Yeah, he bought you coffee, and yeah. you still didn't get a picture. Get a picture. I'm like, you're killing me, lady. But it's funny, you know, here in the desert now, it's like you, you know, you meet so many people. There's so many celebrities here that you just run into with the, you know, we run into Barry Manilow at Las Casuelas downtown all the time. Suzanne Summers everywhere. Um, Randy and I had lunch uh, the other day at uh, California Pizza Kitchen. We did. And as we were walking out, Gary Oldman and his <laughs> wife were walking in. And I had interviewed Gary at the Palm Springs International. And it was funny because... Under normal circumstances, I would have stopped and said hello or something. But like yeah. we were walking out, he was walking in, and, and, and he sort of he didn't have a like a vibe like "don't talk to me." But 
Like we made eye contact, and it was sort of like the nod, like yeah, I'm Gary Oldman. And yeah. Like, I know you are. I know you are. And then we just kept going. <laughs> I never <laughs> I took like, my life, my eye off his wife, so I wasn't sure it was Gary Oldman. How it great was, was that guy in a professional? As he's, the bad cop? Yeah. How about the, the everything he's been in? He's in everything, yeah. great in everything. Yeah. I mean, he even made that crappy Dracula good. I had a, when, when he had just done uh, Churchill, mm. when he was at the Palm Springs International Film Festival, but I still have a visceral reaction from uh, Air Force One. Mm. He played that villain so perfectly yeah. Yeah. that, like, I can't look at him like, you are an asshole. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, I really don't like you. But he's like, used forever. Yeah. It, it, I just see just, him in that, and I see that scene of him in a professional where he's taking those pills dry and he's like, he's getting his all neck. You're like, oh my God. Yeah. He's, let's he's put some real crazy detail on this, Gary. Like, God, who does that? But it's, you're right. I mean, there's so many celebrities who either visit here or, live here part-time yeah. or even full-time it's it's a pretty amazing and, and you mean you've watched it grow since the 1980s yeah. the, the change it's amazing is astounding i'm amazed at how many recording studios are in town now yeah oh yeah um buddies of mine that own the shag store downtown and ron another good friend of mine who's a tour manager they opened up a studio in cathedral city at an old church they bought the church gutted the main room turned it into an amazing studio had a hell of an opening party in january and you're just hanging out in there, and it's like, oh, it's Billy Gibbons and, you know, Duff. And you're like, what? <laughs> and he's like, these guys are, it's amazing, like, what um, they've done. And then Matt Sorum, I don't know, from Guns N' Roses, um, yep. he lives here now, and we got a call at the office. They're like, Jim, can you take this call? I'm like, I don't want to take the call. My wife's like, take the call. I'm like, why? She goes, just take the call. I'm like, yeah, can I help you? Yeah, this is Matt Sorum. I need a gate up at my house. I'm like, hey, Matt Sorum? Like, yeah, I'll come on up. And I went up, and it was him. And that was four years ago, and we're buddies. You know, like best buddies. I was hanging out at his studio, his studio last night, um, down by Toucans, and he's got a beautiful setup in there. And it's like, well, bringing the music in, it's like, as my life is fizzling from '52 on, uh, <laughs> I'm finding that love again for music and back. That's where I'm migrating to. So where I'm going, it's probably more along the music side, and then keeping it involved with the kids and the soccer thing is going to get to a point where it's self-sustained and running on its own and I can sit back and go make a bunch of loud noise in one of the studios. Well, I'm going to tell you, it's been a delight to have you. Well, thank you. And I'm surprised we have not crossed paths before. I'm an enigma. You are. <laughs> you know a lot of people in town. And usually the Italians, you know, greatest... we stick together. Like, normally, there's a meeting. Well, I thought I was Italian up until two years ago, and now I don't hang out with we anybody. Would, we would have drummed you out of the club. Yeah. You would have uh, been no. out. You know, no offense, we would have been right out. Yeah, <laughs> the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing a world he didn't exist. That's pretty much Jimmy. That's <laughs> Jimmy. Well, Jimmy. Um, Thank you. Great to have you. This on. has been really cool. Really Besides fun. that, I wanted to meet somebody who could help me on my fantasy league this year. Take my number. But my, uh, my takeaway from this, I am so impressed when you, when you spoke about your parents and how they were not role models for you. No. And how you have turned yourself into a role model. You know, I think it's a rarity and it's commendable. Because you can be a victim or a winner. And you're a winner. And we appreciate you coming on the program. A little bit of a wiener, but that's okay. Well, that, anyway. <laughs> that'll be episode two. <laughs>
Jimmy, this is awesome. Thank you, my friend. Anytime. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we thank you for joining us for another great episode of Big Conversations Little Bar. Uh, Jimmy Francisco, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Randy Florence. I can't believe we did it again. I'm going to be back next week. I are promise. You, are you sure? I'm sure. Okay. It's well, because somebody took my car and I don't know how to get home. John and I vote on it after every episode. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love you, man. <laughs> thank you, John McMullen, for producing. And, of course, thanks to Skip Page at Little Bar for hosting us. You are listening to Big Conversations Little Bar on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening to Big Conversations Little Bar. Join Randy and Patrick next time as we keep the conversation going right here on Big Conversations Little Bar. Little Bar.